0: Well, let's take a moment as we start together and go to Judges chapter 2. We're going to kind of pick up where we left off uh, last week. Uh, so, Judges chapter 2. We're in a series of sermons that are rooted in Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. We're studying through the book of Ephesians. And Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your mother and father, that it may go well with you in the land. So two admonitions, again, for children. Obey and honor, an attitude and an action. And then parents are given two admonitions. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but in contrast to that, raise them in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. So that's what we've been talking about. We want to get a little more specific as the weeks go by about how to do that. We know what to do, raise them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Who should do that? Parents should do that. But but what should they do to raise them that way? But now, how do you do that? And so we're going to take a few Sundays. Today, we're going to look at a man who had a discipline that very much helped in that effort. Next Sunday, on Mother's Day, we'll look at three moms in the Scripture whose habits and disciplines and lifestyles enabled that to happen. And then we'll see some other men. Look at some men like Noah and Joseph and some others this morning, we're going to look at a man named Job and how he models prayer, how to pray for his children. But I want to begin in Judges chapter 2, because if you'll recall, here's where, we, here's where we left off last week. We looked at Deuteronomy 6 and what Deuteronomy 6, it says for families to talk about God while they sit at their home, while they go on their way, while they're at nighttime and in, and in the morning. And then we flipped over and went two generations after Moses said to do that. And here's the description of the generation. We might call these Moses' grandchildren's generation. Judges chapter 2, verse 10. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. That would have been a a godly generation. Talking about Joshua's generation. But they were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. So so here comes a generation that they did not know God. They did not know what he had done. And here's what the Bible says. God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us so glad they sang that song about being rooted at the cross. Families, church, individuals, you have got to remember what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. God does not love us um, um, by allowing us to continue on in whatever lifestyle or whatever sin that we would want to continue in. He loves us so much, the Bible says He demonstrates His love not by saying, well, you just go on and destroy yourself. He says, I I love you so much, I demonstrate it. This is the way I demonstrate it. That while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. So what that means is anybody who's going to go to hell because they've rejected God, they're going to have to crawl over the cross to get there. That's just the truth of the matter. The Bible says God demonstrates his love by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. In order that... The righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled. Now, here's what I feel like the generation we live in believes would be loving of God if He would throw away the righteous requirements of the law. That's where we are. Uh, you turn on the news and you just hear the opinions of the day. That's, that's where we are. Take the righteous requirements of the law and throw them aside. That would be loving. No, no, no. God says, No. Here, here's love. You can't fulfill the righteous requirements of the law, but I'm going to send one who can, and he will suffer the penalty of your inability to meet the righteous requirements of the law in himself. Do you understand how loved you are by God? That the Lord Jesus Christ suffered the penalty of your sin. He did that for you. Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says, will be saved. That's how he's demonstrated. Now, in this generation, they forgot what he had done. And I have to tell you, the stakes are the very same today. When we forget what he's done for us, here's the overflow of that verse 11. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. That's the false gods. We don't call them by those names today, but those false gods, they still exist. And they abandoned the Lord the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. They were in, the, concludes that section, in terrible distress. You see, you see. Now, uh, it's been said that whoever does the same thing over and over and expects a different result, that's the very definition of insanity. So let's just put it before us. The, those, that generation that abandoned the Lord, forgot what he had done for them, gave themselves over to other gods, followed other ways, were in turn abandoned in a way by God, and the result was catastrophe. Now just ask this. If that's what happened then, do we think that anything different would happen now? So this what we're talking about is uh, very uh, timely, I think, and very practical. Now what's a remedy for this? Well, one remedy for what's, Defined there in Judges chapter 2 is a righteous man and a woman who says, no, no, we're not going to abandon the Lord. That's where it begins. Is a righteous man, righteous mom, righteous dad who says, no, me and my family, we're not going to forget what the Lord had done. And such a man is Job. So let's turn to the book of Job as he's going to model for us in Job chapter 1. It's just going to be one verse that we're going to primarily look at, Job chapter 1, verse 5. Talk a little bit about Job and then see what he what he did how he prayed for his children now a few introductory statements about prayer prayer is not trying to get god to change prayer is a means by which god changes us prayer is not saying to god in heaven here's what i think you should do prayer is god in heaven saying to us here is how you ought to to live and so prayer is the constant means by which we submit to his authority, sure we make our requests known to Him, but as He reveals Himself, knowledge of who He is, it ought to have an effect on our asking. To know what He values and to what He treasures and to what He prizes. It has everything to do with what we end up asking for. So let's pray together and then study these scriptures together. Father, help us now. Help us to know how to pray. Father, our prayer lives are the, are the aspects in, in, in our spiritual walk that, that, that cannot be faked. There's nothing artificial about our prayer life. It, it's an accurate reflection of our walk with you. So, Father, we read very clearly in Scripture what's true of a generation that abandons God. And here we sit in the midst of this generation in this country during these days... When so much of what you teach in your word is so many are eagerly wanting to cast aside, throw aside. So, Father, help us to really treasure your word. And as we study about a righteous man and what he prays for, I pray it would inform us and that we'd use it as a, as a measure this morning. In our own lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Job, chapter 1. Let's pick up in verse number 1. There was a man. Okay, so he. There, He's just a man. There was a man in the land of Uz, okay, now we know where he came from, whose name was Job. Now, notice the description that God gives of this man, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Now, that is a man we would want to esteem. You can usually measure a culture by the people that they choose to put on the pedestal. Here, The Bible esteems a man like Job. Now, I want you to see, before it tells us what he did, it tells us who he was. And that's really, really important. Uh, uh, Again, Scripture over and over says the most important thing about us is what's in the heart. And out of the heart comes what we do. Christianity, again, is not behavior modification. It's belief modification. And out of that belief flows the behavior. So let's see what this righteous, God-fearing, turning away from evil, upright man did. They were born to him, seven sons and three daughters. Now, you know those are some blessed children. One of the greatest blessings a child can have is to have, a, to have a dad who walks with God. And that's what these seven sons and three daughters have. Now, he possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that that man was the greatest of all the people of the East. So he's very successful now, those terms might not mean much to you, so let's update them. 7,000, let's say, first of all, 7,000 sheep. That means he's in the clothing business. It means Tommy Hilfiger's got nothing on Job in his day, okay? He, sheep, wool, clothing, he's got a huge industry going on, clothing people. Then it says he's got 3,000 camels, okay? Not only is he in the clothing business, he's in the shipping business. Camels is what they used to, he, he's in the trucking business, so to speak. FedEx, UPS. They've got nothing on Job. So he's in the clothing business, he's in the trucking business, he's in the shipping business, and 500 yoke of oxen. John Deere's got nothing on him. I mean, this guy is an extremely successful person in that day. I mean, he's got businesses, he's a busy man, he's got 500 oxen, he's got, five, he's got all these sheep, he's got all these camels, and he's got female donkeys and very many servants. So he's responsible for a lot of things. He's wealthy. He's got successful businesses, uh, and, and he is, the Bible de- describes him as the greatest of all the people of the East. Would to God that we'd have successful businessmen who walk with God. So it says his sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. Talk about his birthday? And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. Now here's where it begins to talk about Job's relationship with his children. It says, and when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. So let's just examine that text to see what an upright, just, and faithful, God-fearing, turning from evil man prays for in the lives of God. Of his children I got five things there if you want to follow along on the outline. We'll just talk about it. Number one, Job prayed for his children's activities. Job prayed for his children's activities. Here's what it says, verse 5. When the days of the feast had run their course, Job would sin and consecrate them. Now here's a very, very simple statement. You ready for it? Job knew what was going on in the lives of of his children, he knew what they were doing. He knew where they were at. He knew who they were with. Now, parents—very simple statement: we have got to know what's going on in the lives of our children. Now, some some parents um, some parents want to don't want to be too intrusive. They they, they want to give their children. Uh, layer of what might be called freedom. But you give a child too much freedom, misunderstood freedom, and and it's in those very moments that you don't know what's going on, that they can begin to sow some things in their hearts and in their minds and in their lives that will ultimately destroy them. Let me give you a few examples. And I just say this in a very loving fashion. Example number one. If you have a young man growing up in your house, I would not allow him to have a high-speed internet connection and a computer in his room that he's able to close the door so that you have no idea what he's looking at. Here's a, a newsflash. Young people are much better at uh, cleaning up the tracks of technology than you are investigating what they've been looking at. It's just very simple. So, if you want to be a godly dad, and I know the pressures. Uh, You've you got to have a lot of discernment As children grow up, yes. Like we talked about last week. There are levels of freedom that you can give them. But always, as they increase that opportunity for independence, always correspond that with an equal opportunity for responsibility. Don't give one without the other. Because then they'll want to take the opportunity but not have the responsibility. And then they don't have any motivation for the responsibility anymore. So Job knew what was going on in his parents' lives. Not long ago, it's been about seven years ago, I read a book that investigated the lives of young people. And here's the title of the book, A Tribe Apart. And it was a book on uh, young people between the ages of 14 and, and, and 18. And one of the underlying themes and uh, conclusions of the author was that parents had absolutely no idea what was going on in the lives of their children. In fact, if they were to find out, the author's conclusion was that they would have been absolutely Shocked. So, first of all, Job prayed for his children's activities. Now, he's a very busy man. We talked about his businesses. He's got his UPS, and he's got his clothing, and he's got his John Deere uh, uh, factory. But the Bible says he got up early in the morning for the purpose of praying. Now, if there's one phrase that parents dread more than any other, it's the phrase very early in the morning. Very early in the morning. But here's a God fearing man because I think think he understood the stakes and that the extra hour of sleep in his mind was not a better use of it than an hour of, of praying for his children. Let me show you something in the scripture. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3, verse 9. Genesis chapter 3, verse 9. This is right after the fall. And here's what the Bible says. The Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? You see that? This is real simple. God knows where he is. Adam is the one who happens to not know where he is. But God is keeping tabs. God's coming after. God's a perfect father. He knows that that Adam's in trouble, and so he comes looking for him. Fathers always go looking for your sons and your daughters. Know what's going on in their lives. And then 1 Kings. I'm just going to show you, show you this as well. 1 Kings chapter 19. In a low point of, in, in the life of Elijah. He's run for his life. And he's discouraged. And he's downcast in 1 Kings 19:9, 9, Let's listen to this. There he, Elijah, came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? God always is wants us to understand. He knows. He sees. There aren't any doors that we keep closed that he doesn't see through. Parents need to know where their children are. They need to know what their sons are looking at on their computer. They need to know who their daughters are talking to. Again, I often hear people say, I think my children need some privacy. I'm not saying you've got to stay on them like a hawk at all times. Well, you do, but you don't have to let them know it. But again, it's most often done What's done in secret that will destroy a soul? Go back to Judges 2.12. They abandoned God and pursued the gods of all those around them. Parents, you've got to guard yourself against this pressure that we feel to parent like everybody else around. No, you don't have to parent like they do it out there. We've got to parent like they do it in here, right? If we want to avoid what this book says will happen if you... If you don't, so one, Job prayed for his children's activities. Number two, Job prayed for his children's purity. Job, Job prayed for his children's purity. I love being around my children because of how pure they are. Right now, seven, five, and twenty months. I just love being around them. It seems like childhood is the last pure place we've got in the country. And to hear their questions. And to hear what they talk about, it's just so innocent. Now the world seems in such a rush to take that away from them, and I am always astounded by that fact. Job's greatest fear was that sin would indwell the hearts of his children. Look what it says. When the days of the feast had run their course, Job would sin and consecrate them. It means to pray over them, to put his hands, to pray on them. And he would arise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them offered. Job said, "It might be that my children have sinned. What is it that 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 uh, I don't want to use the word fear in the sense of being being scared, but that 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 concerns you most as a parent? Job's greatest concern was that his children would have their hearts set on sin. I mean, sometimes as parents, we we get worked up and scared about the silliest things, afraid that my son won't be able to step up to that plate." and hit the t-ball. Isn't that a silly fear? He gets up there and swings, and I get worried. Or a fear that, that our child won't be in the, the in crowd. Well, the more I learn about the in crowd, I'm just going to go in and tell you. I want my children to be in the out crowd. I get so worried about things. Job's fear was his, his, his children's purity. That's what Jesus said. Blessed are the pure in heart. They shall see God. So when you pray for your child's purity, what you're praying is, I hope that they see you, God, for who you are. Sin's always so in their face. Sin's always right before their eyes. So, so Job's praying, God, help them to be pure so that they can see you. Um, I love Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 20. He says, uh, you need to be infants in evil. Be infants in evil. Don't, don't be experienced in the ways of the world. Don't be an expert on the sins of the day. And we need to be guarded about this. Paul says in Ephesians 5, not to even mention what the ungodly do in secret. And we've gone from not even mentioning it to plastering it on the flat screen. You know what I mean? We just don't even mention it. Job's praying for purity. Now, I would tell you, go on say, anything that you have to pray for, you, you, you need to back it up. Uh, the, the old saying of the Puritans was that when, when a farmer prayed for a harvest, God expected him to say amen with a shovel in his hand. So if you're going to pray for your children's purity, you need to be able to back it up by putting some safety and some protections in your home so that we're not on one hand saying, God, please make my children pure, but then on the other hand, sitting them down in front of a, front of a television program that what do you want God to do, to come and strike the TV with lightning? You know what I mean? So, so, so if we're going to pray for their purity, you have to, you, you, at the same time, you have to say, what are the things I have to do in my family's life so that, that, so that God can make that possible? I'll just give you a, a, a real clear warning is I'm afraid we're going to sacrifice a generation's desire to know God on the altar of our entertainment. And it's happening fast. You've got to be very discerning about what you choose as the entertainment for your, for your child. Say, so I'm going to pray for my child's purity. What, what do they do on Friday? I dropped them off at the movies. What do they see? I don't know. We've cut our nose off. Despite our faith, so to speak, get to pray for their children's purity. Now, prayer is the answer to fear. Sometimes, parents, we get irrational in our fears. Particularly, is this going to offend anybody? Well, I don't want to say particularly. Um, sometimes, moms, they always just jump to the worst case scenario. I remember when I was a boy, I got a new baseball. And I was so excited about it. I was about eight years old and got this new baseball, and I would begin to unwrap it. I was in the front seat of, of the car, and my mom said, don't unwrap that. I said, well, well I'm just unwrapping the baseball. I just wanna feel the baseball in my hands. It's, you know, little boys, they like the smell of a new baseball. Just, she said, no, 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 don't, don't unwrap that baseball. It might slip out of your hands and then roll on the, on the floorboard and then get stuck under the brake, and then as soon as we're driving over the bridge, I can't stop and we plunge into the river. <laughs> I looked at that baseball, and I said, how do how did we get from there to the, how, how did that even happen? Because in a mom's mind, it seems, uh, it's, sometimes in my mind too, it, it seems that we're always thinking the worst case scenario. Worst case scenario is Judges chapter 2. That is the worst case scenario. So so, so we don't have to fear what is the worst case. Worst case scenario is not that my child go to high school, and it's not the most popular child or the most... Most uh, academically gifted child or the most athletic. The worst case scenario is my child doesn't know God. That's the worst case scenario. What is a prophet of man? What is a prophet of child if he gains the whole world, if he makes the team, if he does, if he climbs up the whole ladder and yet forfeits his soul? That was Job's greatest fear. It's Job's greatest fear. He said, God, God, could you hear him praying? God, there might be sin in my child's heart. I consecrate them. I pray for them. I pray for their purity. He prayed for their activities. Then Job prayed for their. Pray for their purity. Prayer, Adrian Rogers says, is the Holy Spirit finding a desire in the heart of the Father and putting that desire in our hearts to return it to Him in the form of a prayer request. And I think that's exactly what the Scripture teaches. So as you walk with God, now here, again... Job's prayer request list that we're listing here is all rooted back in the fact that here is a blameless man who feared God and turned away from evil. This, the, he is a certain way, so he prays a certain way. So he prays for his children's purity. But again, I just want to sound the warning that praying is not an excuse for laziness. It's not that we just pray for our child's purity. It's that we labor day and night to preserve our children's purity. And I'll go on to tell you, this is what I'm learning. That means that there's a whole lot of things as a dad in this world that I say, N O exclamation point two, and then I hear the complaints from the children. But daddy, they get to watch and I say, I love you. And I'm not going to come, I'm not trying to condemn somebody else's parenting, but I just tell you, I look my children in the eyes and I say, I do this because I Love you, and more than anything else, I want your heart to be set apart for God so that you can know them. I don't want to cut short-circuit your ability to see Him and and believe Him and trust Him because your mind and heart already got filled with so much of the sludge and filth and sin of the world. Number three is that Job prayed for his children's relationships with God. I've already shared it with you, and it's a key text in my praying as a dad. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? There's so many parents so eager to give their children the whole world. And in that effort to give them everything they ever wanted, unknowingly but all the same, they may be leading them down a path that they forfeit their soul. Again, one thing I think you want to do as a parent is you always want to ask, where do I want my child to be 10 years from now? Well, What do I want to be true of them 10 years from now? And 10 years from now has everything to do with, with right now, particularly in a sinful way. Something that seems so harmless now, 10 years from now, it's not so sweet and harmless anymore. Uh, if, if you want your children to be able to study God's word and memorize it, you don't want to short-circuit short their mind with with Silly down and watered down entertainment. I guess I'm a little bit on that entertainment soapbox, I guess. It's a fight that we fight often at our home because we're inundated as a culture with entertainment. I mean, you can't go anywhere without a TV show or a movie or this, that, or the other. Man, and, and, and it's so harmful to the renewing of, of the mind. There's some age-old habits, meditation on the word, praying behind the closed door. That entertainment can so quickly choke off. So Job prayed for his children's relationship with God. Job understood again that it did not matter what their children what his children might have become if it was apart from knowing God. It was career day at Abel's pre K this week. So they sent home a note said that your son's gonna dress like what he wants to be when he grows up on Friday. So he came home with the note, and I already started looking for the cowboy hat, because he's always said he wants to be a cowboy policeman. I don't, I don't know how the future of that job market is, but that's what he's always wanted to be. And so I started looking for the cowboy hat. He said, no, 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 Daddy, don't get the cowboy hat. I said, well, what are you going to wear on Friday? I mean, you've got to dress up like what you want to do. And he, here's what he said. He said, I want to wear my suit. I said, you want to wear your suit? What does that mean? He, he said, because when I grow up, I want to be a preacher. I said, What? And I said, here it is. It's a reality. He wants to be like me. And that's a crazy thought to me. And I was praying before I went to bed that night because that was just a clear reminder to me. Again, I'm going to pray for my child to have a relationship with God. But I'm going to tell you what he's looking at right now in his life is, is my relationship with God. And I'm going to tell you this, if I'm just somebody who gets up here on Sunday morning and says, open up your Bible and read a couple of scripture and give you five points, and then I go home, and he sees a totally different man, game over, right? In his heart, and I might say in just about all of our hearts, most important time for me is not here, it's it's when I'm not here. How's my relationship with God when nobody's around? Job prayed for his children's relationship with God. I'll quote him again. Adrian Rogers said, A lot of kneeling will keep you in good standing. Don't make your children guess what you want for them spiritually. Be specific. Be specific in your praying over them. Let their ears hear you. I pray over and over, uh, but just about every night. We talk about this in Deuteronomy 6, where he says, talk about God in the morning and at night, and we just try to pray over our children. Julie does such a better job than this. In fact, the children have begun to ask for her. I'll pray over them, and they say, well, can you please tell Mommy to come and pray? I said, well, did I I not do good enough? Please go get Mommy to pray. But I, i I lean over them, I say, I pray for Abel, that he'll be pure in heart. I pray that night after night, God, just more than anything, I pray that he'd be pure in heart. And then I pray for Mary Claire that she'll always love people the way that she loves them right now. She just cares about people. God, give her a heart for other other people. I encourage you to use momentous occasions, birthday cards. Write it out for them. Say, he's four years old. He can't even read. Well, one day he will be able to read, and you keep it for him. And you say, here's what I was praying for you at four. And when they're 34, I can guarantee you that's going to be one of the more precious uh, possessions that they have. Make, make, make the special occasions, spiritual occasions, birthdays and graduations and Mother's Days and wedding anniversaries in your, in your home. Next, number four, Job prayed for his children's hearts. Look, look what it says. It, it, for Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. I'll say again, Parents, we have to understand the most important thing about our children is not necessarily their behavior, but their hearts. So you've got to study your child's behavior in order to learn about the heart. You don't want to spend all your time correcting behavior. You want to spend your time shepherding the heart. And I'll give you a good resource. I'll put it in the church library. I've got it in my own. I'll just probably put it over there. A great book by a guy named Paul Tripp called Shepherding a Child's Heart. If you want that, you don't have that book, you want to read it, I will loan it to you today. And that's one of the key things I learned in that book from reading it is don't concern yourself only with what your child is doing, but always ask why your child is doing it. I'm aiming for my children to walk in the path of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and say we will not bow down, though we stand alone. I'd rather stand in the furnace with Jesus than bow down to some wicked king's statue who's going to crumble. That statue's going to crumble soon. We must pray for our children, not only for who they currently are, but in view of who they will become. And Job prayed for his children's hearts. And then number five, Job never stopped praying for his children. But it says, thus Job did, how did he do it? Thus Job did continually. Thus Job did continually. And Job understood something. He had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. But the most important numbers in Job's life were not those thousands They were the number seven and three. Seven sons, three daughters. Now, I want to show you something that the book of Job teaches with great clarity and power. And I'm praying that that it rests on us the way that I'm optimistic that it will. You know the story of Job, right? This is just an introduction. You know what happens these very children that he prays for, that he's prayed for their activities, he's prayed for their purity, he prayed for their relationship with God, he prays for their hearts, He prays. he's never stopped praying for them. There came a day when in, a moment, in one day, all ten of them died. All of them. Job's left childless. And, and, and the major theme of Job's book in the Bible is how a man who walks with God and faces... Now, you know, some, some point here... All those things that he walked with God are true, and he still faced great adversity. So just understand that in your life, uh, uh, a mark of walking with God is not that you are uh, never apart from adversity. A mark that you walk with God is in the midst of adversity, you keep walking with him. And then I want you to go with me to Job 42. After all this, the whole book's great. Of course, we don't have time to go through all 42 chapters. But Job really struggles through this. He gets some bad advice. Anyway, at the, at the end, let's just hold the major point. At the end, God comes and doubles his blessing in Job's life. He, he had 7,000 sheep at the beginning. and Job 42, verse, uh, what is it here? Job 42, verse 12. The Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning, And he had 14,000 sheep. Now he's making shirts and pants, I guess, right? He had 7,000 at the beginning. How many has he got at the beginning? 14,000. 14,000. 6,000 camels. How many did he have at the beginning? 3,000. So you see the pattern, right? Everything's what? Doubled. 1,000 yoke of oxen and 1,000 female donkeys. So if you're following the pattern, it would seem that the next verse would say what? How many sons? It seems that it would say 14 sons and 6 daughters because he's doubled everything. But it's not what it says. It says, and and, and he had also 7 sons and 3 daughters. I thought everything got doubled. Everything did get doubled. Because after Job has 7 more sons and 3 more daughters, how many sons and daughters does he have? He's got 14 sons and 6 daughters daughters. Because when you have a child, you have them, their, their souls are forever. They're forever. The most precious thing that you possess in your life, I know, the, I know the terminology is a little outdated, but let me just, I think you'll understand what I'm saying. The most precious thing that you have in your life is not your camel. <laughs> and It's not your sheep. And it's not your ox. And it's not even, I know this is going to come as a surprise, it's not even your female donkey. It is your son and your daughter. And when you have them, now listen, this is very important. You have them forever. How many children do you have? You have as many children as ever began life in your womb, that's how many children you have. Job understood this, and God teaches it so clearly to us, doesn't He? He doubles everything. And, and then, one last one last quick thing about it. Just keep reading. And he called. He, he had seven sons and three daughters, and he called the name of the first daughter Jemima. I guess she went into the syrup business, and <laughs> and. Uh, he trucked that all over the place. So, of course, if her brothers or sisters had children, her nieces and nephews, you know, called her Aunt Jemima. You knew that. So. <laughs> he called the name of the first daughter J- Jemima and the name of the second Kaziah. She probably went by Zizi or something. And the name of the third Karen Hepuk. Probably just called her Kay. And in all the land there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father gave him an inheritance among their brothers. I'm going to say that statement again. And their father gave his daughters an inheritance among her brothers. And it might not hit your ears this way, but in that day, that was an incredibly rare thing to do. You know what, Job? Job walks with God, fears God, turns away from evil... He doesn't, he doesn't parent and pray and then pass along an inheritance in the manner that everybody around him does. Because everybody else in that culture, the daughter's all nice and well and fine, but they gave everything to the, to the boys. And this is just unique. This is just interesting that the scripture concludes we don't even get the boys' names. I think what the Bible is saying is that Job understood how precious all of his children are. God... Help us, as dads, to see how precious all of our children are. But I'm just going to take from this text, because I am understanding more and more the days in which we live, particularly the fight that is to be fought on behalf of our little girls. I've got two. And the day I had them, I felt like I needed to go on out and buy a gun. That's just just pretty much what I do. But there's a bigger fight to fight. And it begins, the front lines, is to the fight, the fight in prayerfulness for them, for all of them, for, for my daughters and my son. And then it, then it says here, and their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. And after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons for generations. And Job died an old man and full of days. Now, Job, I imagine, gave them an inheritance that had a lot to do with the 7,000 camels and the 3,000 sheep. A lot, I mean, they, they, they probably obtained an inheritance that was a pretty good amount of money. But the most important inheritance that Job passed on to his children was the inheritance that he left them in the spiritual realm. Now, remember we talked about this last week, what you're aiming for. uh, uh, Because parents, uh, when we have the children, we have them, they're going to be somewhere forever. But you don't have forever with them. you just got a little bit of amount of time. Remember, here's the word Moses used, and it takes diligence. It takes diligence when no other parent seems to say, no, they can't watch that. No other parent seems to say... No, I don't mind if they go. All those sorts of things. All those pressures you feel. You've got to keep lined up. The aim I have for them is that they know God. And I'm going to reflect that in the way that I pray. I know what's going on in their lives. I pray for their purity. I pray for their relationship with God. I pray for their hearts. And I don't ever stop praying for them. So that I leave them more than just a material inheritance. I leave for them an inheritance. Let me describe it for you. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for them. By God's power, it's being guarded. See, so you don't even need a gun, do we? God's power is being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you rejoice, though for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. There's some trials involved in parenting, are there not? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's stand together and we'll pray together. Here's what we can do during a time of invitation. Is the invitation is just wide open. Our, our invitation, what, what's the definition of invitation? We're just going to respond to the word of God. It may be that you'd want to come and kneel and pray for your children. and Pray these things for your children. You might want to come and bring your children uh, uh, and, and so that they can hear you. And remember, there's a time in my life that my mom and my dad, they brought me down here and we prayed. Maybe you want to come and pray for our nation that we wouldn't be like Judges chapter 2. Whatever it is that God would lay on your heart, maybe you've got a burden, you want somebody to pray with you, I'd be glad to do that. As we always say, the only thing, the only thing we can't do at an invitation is to just not do anything. It's a full participation time. Let's pray. Father, would you lay it on our hearts that of all the things that we possess, all the things that have been entrusted to us, what's most precious and valuable are the lives of our our children. No matter how old they are, they're out of the home now, whatever stage of life they are, Job continually prayed for his children. Pray you'd make us a generation that's passing on to them the faith and they won't forget it. You are a mighty fortress. God, I pray that you'd find your people responding to your word as they've heard it today in a way that's pleasing and appropriate and honoring to You, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.